I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. It's Lars. Thank you for checking out my podcast and have a great day. Are you approaching retirement or maybe you've just changed jobs? If so, you'll probably now have control of your 401k or IRA. Would you like to buy some property, notes, loans, start a new business, or even buy crypto? You can with a self-directed IRA. For more than a decade, I've been telling you about setting up a self-directed IRA through IRA Advantage. And while you may now hear other companies say they offer self-directed IRAs, you need to find out if they're truly self-directed. With a truly self-directed retirement account, you can make any investment the law allows. Whether you're talking about true diversification, starting your new business, or investing in private holdings, IRA Advantage through a truly self-directed IRA can make that happen. Take it for me, Lars. You've worked hard for your money. IRA Advantage will work hard to keep it yours. Would you like to learn more about truly self-directed IRAs? Then visit iraadvantage.com. View our videos and call IRA Advantage. That's iraadvantage.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's my favorite day of the week, First Amendment Friday. Your chance because we open the phone lines to everybody in the Pacific Northwest. And we're glad to get your calls. And every subject is fair game. And sometimes on First Amendment Fridays, we get even more naysayers than usual. But let me start you out with this. Number one, our Twitter poll. Is cooking in your home with natural gas creating dangerous, toxic pollution in your house that is confirmed to hurt your children. Now, that's the charge that has been laid out by one Northwest County. Multnomah County says they have proof that having natural gas as your stove in your house to cook your food on, in other words, the same kind of fuel that about 99% of good chefs throughout America and probably throughout the world where gas is available, they cook on gas. And why do they do it? Because it works very, very well. When you turn it on, it's on. With electricity, not quite so much. But I think this is part of a political agenda. They want to get rid of fossil fuels, and natural gas is one of them. So the brand new report out says your gas stove can make you and your kids sick. And Multnomah County is saying, throw away that gas stove and other gas appliances because they release dangerous air pollutants. Now, I'm going to ask you whether or not you buy that. A little bit later on this hour, I'm going to give you the actual numbers. And it turns out that Multnomah County lied. They said we did a study. They did not do a study. Well, it's a bunch of studies from 15 or 20 years ago. And in fact, the studies themselves that were not done by Multnomah County, somebody at Multnomah County just said, hey, can you find some studies that say that natural gas stoves are bad? And somebody went out and found them. They're 15 or 20 years old. And the studies themselves 
contradict what Multnomah County says. As I said, I'm going to give you the details and the source citations, and I'll credit my friend Todd Myers, who's at the Washington Policy Center. I wrote to him this morning. I said, this is crazy. They're just on this anti-nat gas agenda, and they want to find a way to justify it. So they're saying, if you have a natural gas-powered stove in your home, it's going to make your kids sick. They're going to get asthma. Well, Todd actually has better sources than I do when it comes to looking up the real scientific studies. And he said, well, number one, they're very old studies. And number two, they actually contradict what Multnomah County is saying. In any case, I'll ask you it as the Twitter poll. Is cooking with natural gas creating dangerous pollution in your house? I have a natural gas stove, natural gas oven as well. And if I don't do much cooking, that's, that, that is dangerous. You know, de- letting me loose in the kitchen to do anything other than just clean up, Tina knows that is a hazardous thing to do. I can barely make a sandwich, but I'm really good at cleaning up. So find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com, brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. A little bit of really good news, because I know for many of us, this week's election was not exactly good news. But we've now learned within the last couple of hours, Republican Lori chavez Dreamer has won Oregon's 5th Congressional District seat that flips a longtime Democrat seat to Republican, and that is good news. And let me tell you about another story that caught my attention. Last night, actually, there's a friend of the show by the name of Andy No, and Andy No writes for the Post Millennial. Andy started coming on our show when he was a grad student at Portland State University, but he has turned into one of the foremost conservative journalists in America. Although I'm not sure he calls himself a conservative journalist, he just goes out and reports the facts. But let me tell you what he reported last night. Would you believe that one of the biggest police departments in the Pacific Northwest reached out to a violent Antifa activist and said, would you come in and help us train our cops? And the details are in Andy's story. And again, I'm happy to give credit to the people who actually pull this stuff together. Sometimes we pull things together. I frequently get great tips that come in from you, both by email and phone call. But Andy points out that about three years ago, the mayor of Portland, Ted Wheeler, who is the police commissioner, at least until the new reform goes through, that was voted through by uh, the voters on Tuesday, uh, Mayor Wheeler announced at the time police chief Daniel Outlaw was in charge, and he said, first and foremost, police chief Outlaw and I are going to implement training for the Portland Police Bureau about how to identify white supremacy based on the recommendation of the Oregon Justice Resource Center. You say, well, that sounds kind of legitimate, something with a name like Oregon Justice Resource Center. Well, guess what? Andy No now points out that an activist by the name of Beatrix Wingling Lee, and no, I'm not joking, Beatrix Wingling Lee, a violent extremist Antifa member who celebrated a violent attack, the smashing of windows at a local business in Portland in the last couple of months, uh, and threatening Renee for Portland. Renee for Portland is Renee Gonzalez, the man who beat Joanne Hardesty and removed her from her city council position. She's not out of a job yet, but I'll bet the bank is just champing at the bit to find out how she's going to pay the rest of her debts. Lee, this activist who was part of the Oregon Justice Resource Center, she actually suggested killing people in one post online. The post said, hear me out. 
we don't need reproductive rights if we kill all the men. She is an activist who advocates for political violence. She works for a far-left group, and apparently that group is involved in training the police. She is a person of color herself, but she's training the police on how to spot violent uh, white supremacists, and she is, in fact, a person of color who is part of a violent group. Uh, Andy now shows that she has threatened Renee for Portland, uh, recently elected politician, works for an Antifa legal group called the Oregon Justice Resource Center, and has suggested killing people in her posts online. In another of her posts that came just after the Supreme Court's decision on Roe v. Wade, she actually said, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. Now, imagine that. And then when activists went out and smashed all the windows in a coffee house, the indigenous person-owned Bison Coffee House, the coffee house got its windows smashed because they were going to have coffee with a cop. In other words, letting people in one neighborhood sit down and actually get to know the cops who patrol that neighborhood. For that, they had their windows smashed. And the fact is, that's how Wingling Lee responded to it, smashing the windows. And she says, and I don't regret what I said. Also, good job to those who smashed the windows. I'm proud of you. Coffee with a cop should not ever happen. And for the coffee shop, if you have to be concerned, windows don't cost a lot. Federal hate crimes and trumped-up charges do. So imagine this. The mayor of Portland says we're going to train our cops to spot white supremacists, and we're going to hire a violent left-wing activist to train the cops who appears to be more than a little bit violent herself. It is First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls from throughout the Northwest on the Radio Northwest Network, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find it two places, at Show and at LarsLarson.com. Coming up in the Northwest Nonsense, a little bit of commentary on shootings that have happened adjacent to or nearby schools in both Oregon and Washington. And you wonder, don't they have any school cops in the vicinity? The answer is no. Back in just a moment, it's First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, you're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. One student was shot and killed in Seattle at Ingram School this week. A 15-year-old girl was shot and badly wounded on Wednesday in broad daylight near a school in Portland. And the two common factors that I see in both of those crimes they both happen at or near public schools and those public schools lack the presence of police after mobs rioted in the streets of both cities demanding defund the police and the rioters labeled all cops as bastards cowardly school boards gave the boot to school resource officers after all what could possibly go wrong this foolish decision may make the politically correct folks happy. They don't want the kids held to the laws that apply everywhere else. The theory goes that if you have police officers on campus, they charge s students who are suspected of crimes. Now, if that sounds like common sense to you, it is common sense. If you're suspected of a crime, if there's probable cause, 
Whether you're a kid or an adult, you ought to be charged with a crime. If convicted, those juvenile criminals fall under the jurisdiction of a court that might actually straighten them out. I know oftentimes they don't, but at least you've got a shot. Or you can tell those criminals that they're forgiven of any real consequences for the crimes they commit if they commit those crimes at school. As I said, what could possibly go wrong? The result? More shootings and more dead kids. How much blood? is going to have to spill before politicians who run the the failing schools of both the states of Oregon and Washington decide to protect the most vulnerable population we have. Scott writes in, Lars, Ron DeSantis has momentum right now. It would appear that a lot of Republicans are going to support him. We're going to have to wait and see what happens in Iowa and New Hampshire a little over a year from now. I have nothing against DeSantis, but I'm still going to support Trump. So am I, by the way. The biggest reason is that I don't like the way the federal government has treated him. They cannot be allowed to get away with it. If they do get away with it, we're all vulnerable. It's very important to me that Trump wins in 24 and cleans up the D.C. mess. Signed, Scott. And Steve Ballinger writes in from uh, the northern part of Washington State. Lars, maybe you mentioned this already, but I wasn't listening. Uh, Lummy Island, Washington, with money from the infrastructure bill, Either the state or the feds are spending $50 million to replace a diesel-powered ferry that residents say there's absolutely nothing wrong with, with an electric diesel hybrid ferry. The ferry runs on electric power when it sits idle while cars are getting on and off and then uses diesel when traveling, signed Steve. Steve, sounds crazy to me as well. And Molly writes in, Molly Weiland, uh, with our question of the day. Lars, longtime fan, I've got a question about the ballot tracking in Clark County. I'm new to Washington state i dropped my ballot in the drop box outside the elections office on tuesday afternoon as of thursday night it says it has been received but then it shows the receive date as 11 9 the day after the election not 11 8 for some reason it does not say it has been accepted is this normal here thanks for what you do sign molly yep molly elections are as abnormal abnormal is the new normal when it comes to elections in both oregon and washington and now today's daily grill insane are you completely insane ridiculous they get more and more ridiculous flat out dumb you're even dumber than i thought who deserves today's lars grill of the day maybe they're just really really stupid the way has been paved by trademark paving just pave it serving southwest washington well, I'm going to give today's Daily Grill a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine, said she went down to drop off her ballot at the elections headquarters in Clark County this week. And what did she see there? She saw one of the candidates running for re-election. His name is Clark County Auditor Greg Kimsey. Now, I understand if you're the Clark County Auditor, if you're in charge of elections, you probably have to be at the elections office. But she said he was wearing a notably large name tag with his name on it and was obsequiously helping voters with their ballots. You know, when we had poll voting, you weren't allowed to go to a polling place wearing a big T-shirt that said Ronald Reagan on it, or God forbid, Jimmy Carter. Um, I don't see how somebody who is a candidate for re-election can show up at the elections office, even if it's his job, then put himself right out front with a big name tag on and his name on it. It seems to violate at least the spirit, if not the letter of the law. And by the way, 
Katie Hobbs of Arizona has been doing the same thing. The Secretary of State of Arizona has been spending a huge amount of time at the elections headquarters because they managed to screw up elections in Arizona so badly. She is the one running for governor against Carrie Lake. And it would seem a little odd. It seems like she's got a dog in the fight. I think Greg Kimsey does as well. So shame on him. He gets today's grill. Today's best email, but you can always send more to uh, talk at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by the MEI Group, one of the largest heavy civil construction companies in the Northwest. Currently hiring and paying top dollar for project managers, engineers, and estimators. TheMEIGroup.com. Jim, who writes in, who indicates that he served in Vietnam in 66 and 67. Says, Lars, happy Veterans Day. I'll, I'll say dittos to that. And a special happy birthday yesterday to our Marine Corps, 247 years young. That's right, the 10th of every November is the birthday of the U.S. Marine Corps, which is actually older than the United States of America. But Jim says, like so many... I was devastated by the election results, and I'm hearing for the first time some people saying they're no longer going to vote. They believe, they believe the fix is in, and our system is so flawed that voting has become a joke. There are many examples of why this emotion can be understood, both locally and nationally. As an example, they're saying or believing that Tina Kotek will not be allowed to lose. The ballot count will be delayed for as long as it takes to get the proper result. The frustration is growing. Confidence in our electoral process is fading rapidly. I hear people saying American elections are now like those in Venezuela or Ukraine for show purposes exclusively. Thanks for all you do and keep up the fight sign, Jim. Jim, thanks for being part of Mike Company back during Vietnam, and I appreciate the email. Send those emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Let's go to Stephen. Hey, Stephen, it's First Amendment Friday, so everything is fair game. Hey Lars, um, I uh, I have to say I uh, um, grew up listening to you, and um, I Thank used you. to have some respect for you. I used to have some respect for you, and I don't mean that really in like a a, a mean way right now. Okay. I just mean um, I, I can't really um, accept your um, your the way that you just blindly support Trump. And die. I don't blindly. I, I I support Trump with both my eyes open. So don't describe to me what is not true. I support him because okay. I think he did okay. a damn good job for four years, and yes. he'll do a very good job from twenty four to twenty eight, or twenty five to twenty nine. Okay. okay, so that 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 just kind of proves my point. You used to be like moderate. You used to, you used to be no. perfect for this for, for for this purple district. I was never moderate. You turn, I was always a conservative, but when I was a reporter, I didn't put my so, opinion in stories, unlike what they do today. Oh, but you just—you were never moderate, though. I was—I was a conservative. I would never have described myself as a moderate. I don't think my political positions were a moderate. I don't know how you would know in any case, because I've ne- what moderate position would you say I've taken in the past? Um. Yeah, exactly. It's First Amendment Friday. Stephen, thanks for the call and good try. Coming up, you're cooking with gas. Only Multnomah County says you're putting your kids at risk. And we'll get to your calls, too. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a First Amendment Friday. I got to share this with you because this story is getting a lot of traction. In fact, you've probably seen it on television, may have seen it in the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper, the pathetic Oregonian. Uh, It may even turn up in the Seattle Times or elsewhere. But here's the headline. 
And I want you to listen carefully because those of us in the words business, I think we ought to take words seriously. If I say somebody is a convicted murderer, I'd best be telling the truth. In other words, you don't just say, well, I think he killed somebody. If I say he's a convicted murderer, he should be a convicted murderer. And if he's not, then I'm being dishonest. Here's the headline from the fish wrapper. Gas stoves are hazardous to your health, Multnomah County Report says. Now, the thing is the newspaper will say, well, we're just reporting on what we're told. No, you should actually be skeptical. Gas stoves are hazardous. Not might be, not maybe. They are hazardous. And then they modify it in the first line of the story. Your gas stove can make you and your children sick. That's the message of a new report released yesterday by Multnomah County, which recommends transitioning away from natural gas stoves and other gas appliances because they release dangerous air pollutants. The report says that children living in homes with natural gas stoves are 42% more likely to experience asthma symptoms and 24% more likely to be diagnosed with lifetime asthma. So Multnomah County has a brand new study. Well, I shot out a note to my friend, Todd Myers, at the Washington Policy Center because Todd has really good connections when it comes to things like studies on pollution. And here's what he found out. He said, Lars, I looked at the study, and he puts study in scare quotes, and it cites a report from EPA in 2008. Now, that's 14, almost 15 years ago. And he says what that report did was look at previous studies. So the studies themselves are about 15 to 20 years old. Multnomah County didn't do a study. They looked back at something from 2008 that looked back at studies that were even older than that. He says also in a quick search of the EPA study, which is their only source, it notes there is no correlation between gas stoves and asthma in single-family homes only in multifamily homes. So I went back to the fish wrapper story and thought, maybe I missed that part. In other words, in apartment buildings, apartment buildings, you have higher levels of asthma where there's a natural gas stove. But in single family homes, you don't. You say, well, why would there be that difference? Maybe it's square footage. What Todd says is they may actually be measuring the impacts due to poverty, not gas stoves. But I haven't looked at it closely in the study. It's 260 pages long. I couldn't find a single reference to the 42% in the EPA study, but that may, may have been taking data from the appendix and then applying it. He says, frankly, it doesn't surprise me the gas stoves would have more nitrous oxide in the house than electric stoves. This is going to be some residual impact from burning methane. The question is how big an impact, and the number seems way too high to me. It's also odd that they're using a 2008 report with studies from before that and then releasing it as though it is a brand new finding. That makes me skeptical. And then he left me with one paragraph that he had pulled out of this old EPA report from almost 15 years ago. And the key line is this, no significant associations were found between levels of nitrous oxide and symptoms for children living in single family homes. Now, go take a look at the fish wrapper story or consider the story you saw on television and ask yourself, the scare headline is natural gas stoves are hazardous to your health. And what do they base that on? A 2008 report drawn from studies that are older than that Studies that say there are no health hazards, adverse health effects, no sign of them in single-family homes, only in apartments. And as Todd pointed out, the most likely cause there 
What is the biggest difference in most cases between people who live in single-family homes and people who live in multifamily homes, meaning apartments and condos and the like? The answer usually is income. And is there a higher incidence of asthma among kids in low-income families than in high-income families? And do they have as much access to the doctor or to medicines or anything else? And you know what the answer is. I also know what I think the agenda is here. Natural gas is being attacked from all sides. And then I'll point out that the natural gas, the folks in the, in the Northwest, and I got no dog in the fight other than that I use natural gas in my home, Northwest Natural Gas and the other suppliers of this valuable fuel that has helped cut air pollution in America dramatically over the last 20 years, they weren't even invited to the party. Multnomah County didn't go to them and say, hey, we think we found some studies that say your stuff is making kids sick. And Northwest Natural pitched a fit, and they should have, to say, listen, you can't do this. You come out with this big report. You don't even give the industry that's affected by it the chance to counterpoint it and maybe point out that your studies are not really studies or they're from a review of studies that was done 14 years ago. You got nothing new in there, and this doesn't affect people in single-family homes. And I guess it's just beyond the capabilities of the Daily Dead Fish Wrapper and Therese Bottomley, who runs the paper, to say maybe if it only affects kids in apartment buildings, we should point that out. And maybe the studies were actually studying the effect of poverty and not studying the effect of cooking on natural gas. Now, with that in in mind, let's go to a First Amendment Friday call. Naysayer Steve is on the line. Hey, Steve, welcome to the program. Glad you called. What do you and I disagree about today on this great First Amendment Friday? Hey, Lars. First of all, I am an unwavering fan of yours. I think you provide a valuable service, and you're one of the most consistent conservatives on the radio, so thank you for what you do. You're too uh, generous. Regarding thank 2024, you. Um, I, uh, this is my first naysayer call, by the way, but, but uh, regarding 2024, our number one job and focus is to get these clowns out of office, and I, I really have strong concerns about Trump. He, he d- cannot talk to middle America or left-wing America. He has one way of speaking to people, and he speaks at people. If he can change that, and if, his, if the people around him can teach him how to talk to Americans, I think we have a shot. He has wonderful policies. I love listening to him, but most Americans don't get him who hate him, and they never will. And that's my biggest concern about Donald Trump. Can I... Can I cite a data point and just ask you to answer that? You've made the charge that he doesn't communicate well with middle America. I don't think Joe Biden communicates well with anybody, but we'll leave Joe Biden aside. Well, I agree. Okay. Yeah. But when it comes to Trump, if it is true, if your the- and since we're talking science and natural gas and all that, if your thesis is Donald Trump doesn't connect with middle America, is it true that Donald Trump as a sitting, every president who's done four years tries to get another four years, at least in recent memory? So Donald Trump ran for re-election. He got, as a sitting president, the greatest number of votes that any sitting president seeking re-election has ever received. And that includes Barack Obama, who got just, you know, accolades all day long from the mainstream media and all kinds of help from everybody else. Even he didn't get as many votes as Trump. So if it's true that Trump doesn't connect to Americans, how in the heck did he get the greatest number of votes any sitting president has ever received when he sought re-election? I, I can't argue that, that data point. Okay, can I throw, I, then, I, then, I just, then let's throw in a second data point. 
Right now, the polls okay. have been asking people, you know, the, the nomination is going to come up in the summer of, of 24 for the 24 election in November. Uh, right now, when they take polls, 71 percent of Republicans say they want Donald Trump as the nominee. If he ain't connected and we're, we're not close to the sum, that summer yet, it's 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 coming in a year and a half. But if we're if he's not connecting, how is he getting 71 percent of the conservative side of the aisle to say they want him as the nominee? Well, because all conservatives love his policy. Donald Trump is a strong leader, and, and I would love to see him as president, Lars. I just, we need to get these clowns out of office, and, and, and we need to have people that voted against Trump to vote for people like Ron DeSantis, for example. That's my only point. I'll tell you what, if DeSantis can get past 10%, which is about where he sits right now, then he deserves the nomination. I mean, if he gets to 50% plus one. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday. More of your calls on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Conservatives have the right to be sore Cause the GOP should have won much more Every toss-up race went to a Democrat No coincidence, I can tell you that You get six million votes, more than they got But when it comes to pickups, you don't get squat A handful of seats no one can explain I know there's fraud cause I got a brain We know the media won't report a thing About cheat by mail or ballot harvesting How do you win so big and gain so small We barely took the house at all You get six million more than they receive Something is fishy, don't be deceived Democrats will win by any means They owe their soul to the voting machine. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's the great parody guy for our show, and he's Jim Gossett. Glad to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. And live on the Radio Northwest Network, we, on a daily basis, attempt to supply the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. Our Twitter poll question is cooking with natural gas creating dangerous pollution that puts your children at risk in your house? I would answer no to that. Multnomah County says gas stoves are hazardous to your health. They can make you and your kids sick. And they're basing that on, eh, they claim a new study. They don't have a new study. They have a statement by the EPA from 2008 uh, that is based on studies that are older than that. And, in fact, the studies they're citing actually contradict what they're saying. So vote if you like at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to your calls. Uh, Let's start with uh, Richard. Hey, Richard, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hey, uh got a couple of, I got two questions for you and a kind of a statement. First statement sure. is, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I talked to you about him a few weeks ago and how he was a major contributor to Joe Biden's campaign for president. Yep, and now well, his company has gone bankrupt out, and he got fired, right? Well, no, he, he come to find out he was stealing uh, investors' money. Yeah, and he and, got fired. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, now, can a politician get in trouble for taking money from somebody like that? 
like if Bernie Madoff gave a bunch of money to to a politician, could that get them in trouble? I think the the biggest trouble they get is not formal legal trouble unless you could prove they were in on the scam. But most politicians who take money from sketchy sources or sources that, you know, in one way or another come under a review, you know, so if if it turns out that the guy you were taking money from is a pedophile or a bank robber or whatever, most politicians write the check and hand it back. Uh, and, And if you could actually prove that Joe Biden knew the illicit source of the funds, but I don't think anybody and the company was called CTX, right? It's a cryptocurrency yeah. company. Yeah, and, and as I understand it, the company is now going banco. He's now, Sam Bankman-Fried has been fired. And you know he's got another tie here in the Northwest. He backed big time a candidate whose name escapes me for some reason because he was there and then he was gone so fast that he hey, almost didn't leave. John. What's that? It was, Heidi, it was Heidi St. John. No, I don't I don't know that Heidi St. John got any money from Sam Bankman Fried. No, it was a guy from Oregon and he was from central Oregon oh. and he got some he got some yeah. fairly substantial contributions, but no, I unless you can prove the candidate knew there was something going on and knew that he was taking ill gotten gains, I don't think there's anything you can do about it. Let's go to Tom. Hey Tom, welcome to the Lars Larson show. What's on your mind? Yeah, I, I think the voters got deceived. On this gas tax, I think there was a conspiracy to keep it quiet. Which I was gas on the tax? Joe Keen show, and Which I said gas tax? two weeks ago, what's that? Which, and I don't know what show you're talking about, but which gas tax are we talking about? Oregon, Washington, what? Washington. Oh, are you talking about the carbon tax that was passed by the legislature, the one that goes into effect right, right. on January 1? And, it, and it's and it's going to raise the price 46 cents a gallon, and we keep warning people about it, and Jay Inslee has shown no sign that he's going to back off on that. So how were the voters deceived when the voters never got to well, vote on it? It was only their uh, there reps. There actually two bills, uh, <clears throat> a cap-and-trade and also a transportation bill. I got the two numbers if you need them, but anyhow... Yeah. I was on the Joe Keehan show two okay. weeks ago. Okay, uh, you I know, said, I know the producers have talked to you about that, and unfortunately you didn't listen, so I'm going to move on. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Steve in Coos County. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Uh, you might be talking about Steve in rural Pierce County. Oh, sorry about that, Steve in uh, rural Pierce County. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, a couple of points real quick. Um, first of all, the whole... Kerfluffle between uh, Ron DeSantis and uh, Donald Trump. It, it, that's manufactured by the fake media. Okay, and the, and the naysayer, the naysayer that uh, con- called you earlier. The, unfortunately, these people are being fooled. They, you know, oh, everybody hates Donald Trump. No, the media tells you that everybody hates Donald Trump. But um, second of all, the reason that I actually called um, was my. I have a daughter who's got Down syndrome. She's 29 years old. And if my wife's listening, I hope she's 29. I hope she's not 30. <laughs> at any rate, at any rate, nobody ever signed her up to vote. Nobody. We get we get her ballot in the mail. Now she is a qualified citizen uh, in the state of Washington, um, and she and if we would have signed her up for vote, she'd be eligible to vote. Nobody ever signed her up. How did we get a ballot in her name? It's called automatic registration, and I think it's wrong as well, Steve. Thank you, and God bless your daughter. Lars here with a question for you. Why is it that some people aren't as stressed out about the future as you'd think they would be? 
The answer, they're probably among the millions of Americans who prepared themselves with emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. If the worst ever happens, literally millions of American families are already protected from dealing with those empty store shelves. Is yours? Mine is. If not, go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now and grab some emergency food kits, at least one for every member of your family. These kits give you a wide variety of delicious meals that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's what you need. Everything stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. Order your kits right now by going to MyPatriotSupply.com. Your order ships fast and arrives discreetly in unmarked boxes. Listen, this is something you need to jump on now before the next news headline stuns the world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. That's MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to ask you something. It's First Amendment Friday. We had an election this week. Uh, and results are still hanging fire in so many different races, including Joe Kent's race, where I believe that the last remaining ballots are actually going to put Joe Kent over the top, and he's going to beat uh, Katie Perez or whatever her name is. She actually doesn't go by her real name, but that's an issue if she, if she becomes a member of Congress. Um, but I want to point something out to you, and it's about something weird that was happening on Election Day, in this case, in Washington State. Now, here's the way it goes. Let me ask you a theoretical question. Do you think your bank, which handles, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, if you count the whole system, millions and millions of signatures on checks, do you think your bank does that by a manual process in which a human being with very, very tired eyes sits there for eight or 10 hours and looks at signatures and says, Huh, this is Lars Larson's signature card on file at the bank, and here's a check that he allegedly signed. Do you think they do it that way, or do you think they use computers so that they can take a look at the signatures, and then if they find one that doesn't appear to match, maybe then they kick that one up to a human being? I would bet that every single bank of any size in America, maybe even most of the banks in the world, use an automated system that if it believes it's found a mismatched signature, kicks that up to a human being, they take a closer look at it. And I would imagine before they take a check and say, we're not cashing this check, this does not look like Lars Larson or Joe Schmo's signature, that it then does get kicked to a human being. They don't have human beings looking at every last one of them. I want you to consider one of the reasons there has apparently been a gigantic slowdown in the results of the election on Tuesday in Washington state in particular. And you kind of have to search for it in the Seattle Times daily dead fish wrapper story. They say amid the high turnout midterm election in Washington, local officials have been contending with a technical slowdown in vote wah, the state's election system. The primary cause appears to be the length of time it takes to load images that are used to verify voter signatures. They say it's just poor system performance is the plain English way of putting it, says Julie Anderson, who's the Pierce County Auditor. And it's preventing us from, in a timely manner, verifying all the signatures that we have to because we have to verify the signature of every single voter on every single ballot. Well, you should have to verify the signature. They say for each ballot, an elections administrator has to verify the signature on the ballot envelope. As part of that process, the system has a library of every signature of every voter in the state, as well as the signatures of other people in that voter's household. 
they have to retrieve all those images, and then an elections administrator, a person, has to sit there and look at the signature on the image from the ballot and a signature from their file and make the decision. Now, there are lots and lots of jobs that I don't want anybody but a human being deciding. I don't want automated law enforcement with robots. Uh, On the other hand, there are a lot of jobs that are not done very well by human beings, especially if you say, hey, we're going to sit you down, you're going to look at 10,000 signatures, and you're going to look at them quickly and say, do they match or not, do they match or not, do they match or not? Now, I'm just trying to imagine the person who has to do that job versus, let's say, a computer whose electronic eye never gets tired and can look at the signatures and compare them. I would imagine that the more reliable technology is going to be the computer. And then you could say, if we think the signature on the ballot does not match the signature on file, then kick that one up to a human being, take a closer look at it, and see what happens. Then it gets even worse. Because Washington State has same-day registration. Now, Oregon got rid of it decades ago, uh, mostly because of the experience with the crazy Rajneeshis coming in and trying to take over elections and manipulate elections with literally with germ warfare. If you remember the Rajneeshis and the contamination of salad bars and uh, the FBI investigation and the secret labs, I'm not making this up. Sounds like conspiracy there. It's not. That's what they actually did. And one of the things they tried to do was take over an entire town and then try to take over an entire county using the voting system. And so voters, or the election system said, and the voters and the legislators said, let's get rid of same-day registration. you got to register 30 days out. I'd even be willing to tighten that time frame up if they said you have to register 10 days before the election. That would take account of virtually everybody who's moved from one state to another state and things like that. But here's what the Seattle Times fish wrapper says. 10,000 new voters were registered the day of the election. Those new registrations, they say, might be a secondary factor. Why? Because they took high-resolution images of the registration forms and of signatures on the forms, and they were being added into the system at the same time that administrators were retrieving images of signatures to compare them to ballots. Now, this is what... This is where this just gets crazy. They said at that time, it was far too late to make any significant changes to the system to alleviate the data processing slowness related to the image retrieval. We were able to implement a stopgap solution to mitigate immediate performance issues. In other words, at the last minute, you're adding 10,000 high-resolution images into a system while that same system is trying to pull up images so that a human being with a human being's eyeballs can look at the signature on a ballot and the signature on file and decide if they match. Does this sound like a system that is run in a competent fashion? Because it doesn't sound like it to me. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome on the Radio Northwest Network. Let's go to... uh, Oh, heck, let's go to Jason. Hey, Jason, thanks for listening on the RNW. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars. Now, I want to talk about Ron DeSantis. Um, don't you think he'd be a potential running mate for Donald? I, I absolutely do. I, I absolutely do. And I think what's happening right now is the mainstream media has decided we've got a fight going on and we might be able to find a way to kick Trump to the curb. Because as much as Donald Trump benefited the mainstream media, I mean, CNN basically died after, after Trump left office and is still in the process of dying. They're laying people off left and right. Why? Because people stopped watching. But even though he was good for them, 
the people who work within most of the news business hate Donald Trump with a passion, which is not something, you know, when I was a reporter and I was and I kept my opinion out of stories, uh, if I'd ever been called upon to report on a story with somebody I hated or had some other kind of personal beef with, I'd have gone to my boss and said, look, somebody else should cover this because I got a dog in the fight. And, and yeah, that, I, I, that, that's the problem, Lars, is the right needs to be careful not, not to slander um, Ron DeSantis too much. I don't think I don't think anybody's slandering. Now, Trump is saying some critical things of him. But to me, Jason, the, the back and forth between Trump and DeSantis, Trump feels a little upset that back when DeSantis was losing running for governor the first time and and he was basically going to get torpedoed. Trump stepped in, endorsed him. And all of a sudden he went from losing to winning. And I think Trump feels like, hey, maybe maybe this guy owes me a bit. And now it sounds like the political carrot that the yeah, left is. But you got to remember, you got to remember who who did you the favors, who helped you out when you needed the help, and if you don't have any loyalty, uh, I don't think anybody should be loyal to you either. But is this a fight the media is picking? Yeah, to some extent. Is Trump adding to it? Yeah, absolutely. It's First Amendment Friday, and you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to take your phone calls and your emails. I want to tell you about something that happened that isn't getting nearly as much attention as it should, but it happened last night, and it happened in Texas, but it actually affects the entire United States of America, and it has to do with Joe Biden's $1 trillion student loan debt repayment scam. It's been judged unconstitutional, and if you haven't heard that yet, it's because it doesn't fit the narrative that most of the media want to talk about. Anyway, I'll get to that. But first, welcome to First Amendment Friday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you're a naysayer, I'll put you right to the head of the line. I love the naysayer calls. And, of course, you can vote in our Twitter poll. Find that at Lars Larson Show on Twitter. And if you don't like Twitter, go to my website at LarsLarson.com. I've told you before that this trillion-dollar ripoff is so hugely unfair, it's almost hard to imagine how it could be worse. You've got Joe Biden, who has absolutely no authority, even though the president is viewed as a very powerful figure by the American people and by the rest of the world, as long as you don't have a senile dimwit in the office. But even still, the president is a powerful individual. But on his own, he can't spend a single dime. Every single penny the president proposes to spend out of his executive branch agencies has to be signed off on by Congress. And Congress has to say, we want you to spend this amount of money on this thing out of this agency. And then the president's allowed to do it. Well, Joe Biden said to heck with that. He had made this crazy promise when he was running for president that he was going to pay off a whole bunch of student loan debt. Now, we've pointed out to you that most of the benefit of this program does not go to low-income people. It goes to actually upper-income people. In fact, a gigantic amount of it, even before they pay off a single dime of debt, has gone to doctors and lawyers and accountants and engineers. And how is that possible? Well, a doctor who went out, man or woman, borrowed, say, a quarter million dollars to go to medical school and still owes a couple of hundred thousand, they've put a freeze on those payments, and not just the payments, but the interest as well. Imagine if the bank came along and said, hey, we really like you, so we're going to freeze the mortgage loan uh, interest that you're paying right now. 
most people would stand up and cheer. So if you're a doctor who owes a couple of hundred thousand dollars and you do plan to pay it off, but all of a sudden they say that couple of hundred thousand dollars, even if it's a very average level for student loan debt, 5%, you know what 5% is on $200,000 for a single year? Yeah, it's a big pile of money. So a lot of that benefit has already gone to some of the most well-heeled people out there. But then Joe Biden said, I'm going to pay off up to $10,000 in student loan debt for an individual and another $10,000 if you owe money on Pell Grants. And then if you're married, I'll give the same treatment to your spouse. So for for a family, a family where you have two adults who both owe student loan debt, the benefit could be as much as $40,000. And if your first question or second or third is, well, does Joe have the legal authority to do that? The answer is no, he doesn't. Now, he could have marched over to Capitol Hill and said to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, while they were still in the majority, they're going to be out of the majority come January. But he could have said to them, pass a bill that gives me the authority to spend a trillion dollars of the public's money. Now, Nancy and Chuck would have looked at him and said uh, a couple of months ago when he could have done this and said, "Uh, Joe, you're crazy. We know you're crazy and you're senile, but uh, we can't do that. You're asking us to tell the American public, most of whom have never sat in a college classroom, that we're going to take a trillion dollars of their money or borrow a trillion dollars on their debt, and we're going to pay off the loans of people who went to college and did get to sit in a college classroom and didn't get their money's worth out of it? You want us to take a trillion dollars from the 70% of the country that has never gone to college? You have to be completely crazy. So, of course, he had no legal authority to do it. Well, last night in Texas, U.S. District Judge Mark Pittman said this is unconstitutional, and he struck down the entire plan. Now, the official number on his $400 billion, although they say if this thing pays out the way they think that it's going to pay out, it may end up costing American taxpayers a trillion dollars, either a trillion dollars in cash or a mixture of both cash and future obligations that we have to pay off. But I loved what this judge had to say. In this country, we are not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. I thought, boy. He gave Obama a jab in there. Because you remember Obama used to say, I don't need Congress. I've got a phone and a pen. Well, guess what? You don't get to be a dictator. And the judge went on to say, instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of the government. And as President James Madison warned, the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one or a few or many, and whether hereditary, you know, like if we had kings, uh, self-appointed or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. James Madison, and he seems to be describing Joe Biden, who says, I, I don't need the Congress. I'll just go ahead and spend a trillion dollars without asking anybody. Now, you might remember that back in September, another judge from Louisiana, that's Terry Doherty, Dowdy, said the Biden administration could not require Head Start program teachers to be vaccinated. So this isn't the first time that Joe has stepped across that line and said, I don't care what the rules are. I'll just do it because I'm president and I'll do it until somebody strikes it down. Well, guess what? A judge has now said, we're not going to let you do this. He's actually killed the student loan forgiveness plan. Now, 
Could he be overruled by an appeals court? Yes, he could. And will this case probably find its way to the Supreme Court? I think that's absolutely likely. Uh, but, but at this point, the whole thing is dead, and thank God for it. And thank God for a judge like Mark Pittman calling out Joe Biden as engaging in the kind of tyranny that the founders of this country warned us about. Let's go to Victor. Hey, Victor, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. Love the show. Thank you. I was hoping you could shed some light on the dust-up with Trump and DeSantis. I think it's largely a bunch of trash-talking, and I know Trump may be doing more of the trash-talking than DeSantis. I think some of it is because Trump remembers, and maybe the American public doesn't, that at one point DeSantis was a failing candidate running for governor of Florida. He's seen as very successful now. But Trump stepped in, gave him his endorsement. This was uh, in 17 or 18, uh, 17 heading into 2018. Um, and DeSantis, you know, is, is now perhaps going to be in a position to run for president and compete with Trump for the nomination. Actually, I think that's healthy, uh, you know, because you remember when we had 17 candidates running, seeking the presidency the year that Trump ran, and the Democrats had nobody in particular except this senile old guy in his basement? I mean, I'd always rather be the side that has 17 possibilities. I mean, imagine imagine if you rolled into, ta- into a town and said, I need to buy a house, and the real estate agent said, I'll show you the only one that's for sale. You said, I get a choice of one, and, and, yeah, and you're not going to be impressed by it. As opposed to rolling in and saying, hey, I'd like to look at a pickup truck. And the sales guy says, we have 17 different models, all of which may fit your needs. Would you like to take a look at all of them? I want to be on that other side instead of the ones who are left with Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or, for God's sake, and protect us, Kamala Harris. You're listening to First Amendment Friday. It's the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your First Amendment Friday phone calls in just a moment. And I want to tell you, I don't have a direct dog in the fight on this issue. Uh, I don't have any personal connection to the Compass Care Pregnancy Resource Centers or anything like it. Although from the sidelines, I, I cheer their efforts every single day. And if you don't understand what they are, they are, as far as I'm concerned, one of the prime examples of a pure exercise of uh, the First Amendment. Because you've got the right of freedom of assembly, the right of association, freedom of association, and you've got the right of freedom of speech. And if you want to mix some religion in there as well, you can bring your faith values to these pregnancy resource centers too. And they have come under attack. In the last year, at least a couple of dozen pregnancy resource centers have been firebombed, they've been trashed, they've been ransacked, and the Biden DOJ and FBI don't seem to be very interested in catching the people behind these evil deeds. But all these centers do is communicate. They say to young ladies who are pregnant, uh, if you're thinking of having an abortion, there's another option. We'll present the option to you. We have no special power to make you comply with what we'd like you to do. And most of the people I've talked to with pregnancy resource centers say, well, you know, we're not always successful. Sometimes a young lady comes in, listens to what we have to say about having her baby, about keeping her baby, about giving it up for adoption, all the other options that are not presented by the evil lords, overlords over at Planned Parenthood. 
you know, the eugenicist organization that was founded by Margaret Sanger. Uh, but at least the young lady hears the alternative, and sometimes she takes it up, and sometimes she doesn't. But other than that, they have no special powers, and they don't get government funding either. Well, Daniel Tomlinson is with me, the Director of Community Relations for Compass Care Pregnancy Services. Daniel, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really grateful to be on with you again, Lars. So for those of us who are pro-life, Tuesday was not exactly a great day across America, was it? You know, it was, um, <clears throat> it was proof that uh, not talking about abortion, I, I, I think, that it was proof that not talking about abortion, shying away from abortion is a losing strategy for pro-life politicians. Uh, those that shied away and refused to either scrub their websites or backed away from strong pro-life convictions and strong pro-life uh, stances uh, ended up losing their races. And those who held strong to their convictions about the equal value of every human being from the womb to the tomb uh, ended up uh, being very successful and running away with their uh, with their um, with their uh, um, uh, uh, um, races. So I, I think that uh, uh, pro-abortion Democrats have uh, discovered that abortion is a winning uh, strategy for them. Uh, and, I, and I'm hoping, I'm praying that uh, Republicans uh, realize that talking about the moral issue of our day, the moral issue of our day, the, the greatest injustice in the history of mankind is actually not just morally correct, uh, which should be enough for them to actually talk about it, but it's also a winning political strategy. Well, and Daniel, I don't disagree with you on that. I was thinking more of the ballot measures across America because there have been a sure. few that were severe disappointments for me. I, was, I lived in Montana a couple of times when I was a little kid, and I thought, you know, people yeah. have asked me, is it a conservative place? I said, I was a little kid. I, I, didn't, I, I wasn't involved in party politics when I was four, and I wasn't involved in poly, party politics when I was 10, so I don't know. But from a distance, yeah, I've always thought of it as kind of a conservative state, although, you know, the centers like Missoula and places like like that or not, but they actually statewide refused to pass protection for the Born Alive Act, saying if you have an abortion and the baby accidentally survives, and it does happen, uh, does the doctor at least owe that baby, that little human being, uh, you know, proper medical care? And the voters said no. And I remember being just kind of rocked back on my heels by that result and some of the other ballot measures. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, it is a it is a barbaric thing that we would say a baby who is born alive and survives the attempt on their life, that you don't actually have to intervene and, uh, and save that baby. Um, but I, I, I do want to kind of come at it a little bit of a different angle here, Lars, sure. in that both the, Kentucky, both the Kentucky amendment uh, that, that failed and the Montana uh, ballot initiative that failed, um, they, are both, they were both unnecessary. And by that I mean... Any medical provider who does not intervene on behalf of a human being who's on the table and who will expire if they don't intervene uh, should be stripped of their license across the board. Um, so the Agreed. very fact that there is a ballot initiative that's saying, so it, it, is, it, is, it is standard practice for medical providers to step in and intervene, not step away. So... Um, the fact that there has to be a ballot initiative or should be a ballot initiative. No, what we should do is simply treat human, uh, human beings as human beings and not carve out exceptions for those that we see as uh, less desirable or um, as less human uh, because they're wrong. That pre-born I mean, child is as fully uniquely human as you and I. 
I'm with you, Daniel, because it seems like, well, okay, the baby is born now. Well, then the baby is protected as a, as another human being. And the argument about, well, isn't that human life different when it's still in the womb? Okay, one side's going to take one point of view. The other side is going to take the other side of, uh, point of view. I get that. But there seemed, at least I thought, the debate over whether or not a born baby was actually a human being deserving of every protection that everybody else in society gets and and then all of a sudden we've got to we've got to actually make the point of saying if you don't care for that baby you're committing a crime just as if grandma's yeah. in the nursing home and she's nearing the end it doesn't mean you can say well she's going to be gone in a week or two so why do we need to do anything for her she's a That's human right. being you know treat her right. right and nobody would ever accept that idea now what about this issue because i really am troubled uh, more than troubled i'm angry about the fact that the Biden DOJ, which seems capable of hunting down Catholic dads who take their, I'm not Catholic, I'm Protestant, but whatever, I don't have a dog in the fight, Catholic dad who takes his kid down to protest at abortion clinics, legally and lawfully, gets an FBI raid and, and, and is taken from his house in handcuffs and shackles. Uh, you know, they can find that guy, but they can't seem to find Jane's revenge that has been carrying out these domestic terrorist attacks on pregnancy resource centers, like the ones that are run by Compass Care. Yeah, so uh, Compass Care has experienced firsthand the abortion extremism group calling themselves Jane's Revenge. They firebombed Compass Care's Buffalo office back in June. Um, over 70 attacks against pro-life service organizations, not a single arrest at the local, state, or federal level. And get this, Lars, not only has the FBI and the DOJ abdicated their responsibility to provide equal protection under the law, but they actually have weaponized the FACE Act, the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entries, uh, Entrances, against pro-life people. So you mentioned Mark Houck, who was arrested at gunpoint in front of his seven children and wife uh, just a couple months ago. Um, there's been 22 indictments of pro-life people over the last two months on the FACE Act. Um, it is being used as a cudgel to intimidate and to suppress pro-life expression in the public square. And it is completely egregious. But it is right in line with the Biden administration's executive order back in July uh, that, that uh, called for a reproductive health task force. Um, so I believe that the FBI and the DOJ is acting uh, with orders from uh, the exec- uh, from the Biden administration to to be uh, they are they are digging up old cases and they are going after pro-life people. And the end result of that is you're going to shut down free speech. So these are the same tricks we saw during Obama when Obama used the IRS to go after free speech. Except now he's using an agency that seems to have even greater powers because they can bring criminal charges as well. That's Daniel Tomlinson, who is the Director of Community Relations for Compass Care Pregnancy Centers. You know, Daniel, keep up the good work and God bless. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. Today's question is cooking with natural gas, creating dangerous pollution in your house. I would say no to that. Multnomah County says, we've got a new report. And they lied about a so-called study they did, and they lied about its conclusions, and they left some of the most significant information out. You can find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I, I want to mention something about climate change. We may want that John Kerry soundbite. But first, let me tell you, this segment is brought to you on the Radio Northwest Network by NickShivers.com. For an instant offer to sell your home immediately, no showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date, NickShivers.com for details. And I want to remind you, it is Veterans Day. I know you're thinking of the long weekend. I'm talking about the day, the 11th of November. And don't forget to thank every Marine or wish them a belated happy birthday to the Marine Corps from yesterday's birthday. And remind every single veteran how much we appreciate what they did and the sacrifices they and their families made to make sure that America stays a free country. Now, the U.S. military has its problems right now, especially under a commander-in-chief, Joe Biden, who seems willing to do just about everything to tear the military apart and make it as weak as possible. But we're not talking about him. He's not a veteran. I'm not a veteran. Uh, What we're talking about is all those people who did all those things over all those decades to keep this country safe. Our Twitter poll is cooking with natural gas, creating dangerous pollution in your home. I'd say no to that. There's a fake report that's been pushed forward by Multnomah County. And what they don't mention in this case, although I figure that King County would probably agree with them, they're saying it's dangerous to have a cooktop or an oven that is run on natural gas in your house because of the toxic fumes. And they push what they call is a brand new report that actually comes from a 2008 EPA statement that is based on reports, actual studies, that are even older than that. And the studies actually don't come to the same conclusion uh, that Multnomah County says. And one of the key factors they've left out of this is they say, well, you know, kids have more asthma when they live in a house with a natural gas stove. Actually, that's not true. If you live in an apartment or a condo, multifamily housing, asthma rates are higher. But asthma rates are higher overall in multifamily housing because multifamily housing tends to be lower income. So as our friend Todd Myers of Washington Policy Center points out, uh, it's likely they were measuring poverty more than they were measuring the effect of the natural gas. It was correlation, not causation, if you want to get fancy about it. So you can answer the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show, and it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. Uh, if you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. And one thing about climate change, I do want to mention this. Many years ago, There was a gentleman by the name of George Taylor, and I admired him greatly. He taught at Oregon State University, and he had the title of state climatologist. But he also had guts and a backbone. And so George Taylor, back, this was 2000, uh, I think it was 2008, they used to call it global warming back then. And he was viewed, he, he had the title of the state climatologist for the state of Oregon. And then he began to speak out and say, You know, the science just isn't there to show what the global warming true believers and alarmists want to say. And he came on this show, came on this show and described what he believed. Now, he'd said it in other venues, but he said it on this show. And within, I I don't remember, and unfortunately, we don't have the interview anymore. I'd love to replay it. Uh, But George Taylor gave us chapter and verse on the fact that the science didn't back up what the global warming alarmists were saying. Within a week or two, is my memory, the, uh, the uh, governor at the time, Ted Kulangoski, notified Taylor that he had been stripped of his title as state climatologist. I am sorry to tell you, 
that George Taylor has passed away. But he will be remembered fondly by all of us who remember real science and real skepticism. Now, on that note, let's go to naysayer Charles. Hey, Charles, welcome to the program. What do you and I disagree about today, if you're a naysayer? Um, The citizens that were voting uh, in the areas when you're discussing your abortion issue, yeah, I would expect that um, the people who are Republican didn't speak up about their opinion on the abortion issues because it would only hurt them getting elected because they were in areas that were highly democratic. Were you listening? Well, but were you listening to the, the previous guest? Those who embraced yeah. a pro-life point of view and campaigned on it tended to win. Those who tended not to mention their pro-life views well, I know, tended to lose in Tuesday's election. The people I'm suggesting the possibility that the pro-life um, people running for office that were vocal about their opinion were in areas that were predominantly Republican and pro-life. So they had the license to do it. That wouldn't hurt their election. I'm a pro-life person. I'm just looking at the description of what the citizens were and the politics. If you're pro-life and you're in a predominantly Republican party, speak your mind. It won't hurt your campaign. But if you're a pro-life Republican in Portland and you speak your mind, it will not help your campaign. Can I I tell you, though, Charles, here's where I think the hole in your theory is. Do you think that anybody who is pro-life, if you're running in a high Democrat area like Portland or Seattle, do you think the major media is not going to point out that you're pro-life? Do you think your opponent is not going to point out that you're pro-life? Because they will. So then the question is, do you hide your light under a bushel and say, yeah, I I just won't say it very loudly because maybe people won't notice that I'm pro-life. That's going to help you? They won't notice it, but there's no reason to bring it up if you're going to... Destroy well, your but, but what are you going to do? Because time. your opponent's going to bring it up. The media is going to bring well, it up. And if you decide works. to soft pedal your view of being pro-life, then what are you telling the people that might vote for you? He says he believes in this, but he doesn't talk about it at all. And the media says he's uh, anti-abortion. So we're going to, he's going to get beat up for his views, but he's not going to get the credit from the people who would say, I'm glad that you're pro-life. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Oregon Utility Notification Center wants to remind you that whether you're planting a tree, building a fence, or just making improvements around your farm or home, click or call before you start your work to get the area marked. Then dig safely and avoid contact with buried utilities. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones. Know what's below. Call before you dig. For more information, visit us online at digsafelyoregon.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday, which ranks as my favorite day of the week because it's the day we open up the phone lines and everybody gets to comment on everything they want to bring up, even the naysayers. Now, of course, we treat naysayers right the rest of the week, but welcome to the program. I want you to consider this. There was a shooting at Ingram High School in the Seattle Public Schools, and I brought up the fact that there was another shooting on Wednesday that wounded a young lady in Portland uh, near one of the elementary schools. So you had a shooting at a high school in Seattle that that took a life of a student. And two students are now suspected. uh, We don't know what they're going to be charged with exactly, but I suspect that one of them is going to be charged with the juvenile equivalent of homicide uh, or murder. 
And uh, you've got a case in Portland where you've got a young lady who, thank God, was wounded and not killed in a shooting near a school. And I brought up the fact that school resource officers were given the bums rush out of there. That is, there were an awful lot of politically correct folks, especially in the bigger cities of the Northwest, that decided, we don't want the police officers on campus. I'm going to get into the school discipline issue in just a bit in uh, another segment. Um, But I want to ask you this question because this is how lunatic the politicians of the Northwest have become. Seattle officials and students are calling for a change in gun control laws following the recent Ingram High School. It might have been Ingraham. I don't know. And I'd be happy to be corrected. Ingram High School shooting to prevent future attacks from happening. Now, as soon as I see a story like that, it happened to come from one of our affiliate stations, Como in Seattle. Uh, KVI is its sister station, and they carry the Radio Northwest Network and this program. I just think, are any of these reporters at all educated about what actually happened? Because at Ingram High School, if you accept what the police say, they have two Teenagers, one of them 14, one of them 15, who are suspected in connection with this shooting. So you have a 14 and a 15-year-old suspected of bringing a gun to school, shooting a fellow student, and ending that student's life. Now, can you count the number of crimes that were committed there? A 14 or 15-year-old in possession of a gun is breaking the law. Anybody in possession of a gun, who brings a gun to a public school in the state of Washington is breaking the law. Anybody who fires that gun inside of a city like the city of Seattle is breaking the law. And of course, anybody who commits a murder is breaking the law. So you already have at least four crimes that have been committed with the shooting of one student and the death of one student by two kids. Now, I think they ought to be held to the full extent of the law. In fact, I think if they commit, if the prosecutors believe that the 14-year-old and the 15-year-old, both of them or each one separately, has committed the crime of murder, I think they ought to be tried in adult court. I think they ought to face adult penalties. But you've got nitwits, and I'm not going to hold back from that. Seattle officials and students calling for a change in gun control laws because you've already got at least four distinct crimes that were committed by each one of those two, if what the police believe is true is true. I mean, they've got a right to their day in court. They've got a right to a trial by a jury of their peers. They've got a right to be punished if found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But somehow there are people, and this is the tough part to wrap your head around, there are people who believe that even though each one of these two, if they did what the police believe they did, They possessed a gun at 14 or 15. They brought the gun to a school. They fired the gun. All all three of those are crimes. And they took the life of a human being. That's crime number four. That with those four crimes already on the books, that doesn't stop the murder. But if they can only change the laws in Washington State in some amazing fashion, they can stop school shootings from happening. It's a ridiculous concept. Under Washington state law, cities are prohibited from implementing their own gun laws, stating the state of Oregon hereby fully occupies and preempts the entire field of firearms regulation within the boundaries of the state. Well, that means that you have one law for the state. You don't have 
50 or 100 or 500 different laws every time you go from one school district to another school district, one city to another city, one county to another county. Oregon used to believe in that. Oregon now allows individual entities like school districts to make their own laws. But what they apparently don't mention is the fact that it is, I know this because I live in Washington State. I carry a concealed weapon. I have a carry permit. Does that carry permit allow me to go onto school grounds with a gun? The answer is no. Is there any permit that allows you to fire a gun at a public school? No. Is there any law that allows you to murder another human being? No, you can't murder. So even though they say, well, gosh, we don't have the right to have our own laws in Seattle or uh, Enumclaw or wherever you want to have your own laws, you've got a law that says kids can't have guns. You've got a law that says you can't bring a gun to a school grounds. That's a federal law as well as a state law. And you've got a gun, a, a law that says you can't murder people. How many laws do you need? And Bruce Harrell, he says, in the days of, after the school shooting, Como reports, Seattle Mayor Bruce Harrell called for Washington State to lift the state law. The truth is we continue to see gun violence spike at unacceptable rates. Too many guns on our streets, too many guns in the wrong hands. You've already got a law that if you find a 14-year-old, 15-year-old with a gun, they're already breaking the law. If they're carrying the gun, they're breaking the law. If they take the gun to school, they're breaking the law. If they shoot the gun into school, they're breaking the law. If they murder somebody, they're breaking the law. And yet Bruce Harrell is joining right in. It's a nitwit move to say, but if we just had one more law, if we'd had five laws instead of four laws, we might have been able to stop the school shootings. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's go to Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Well, the school shootings are not what these people think they're from. They're from the National Education Association. And if I can have just a couple minutes, I'll explain why. You've got about a minute till the break, so you're going to get to your point quickly, please. Okay. The National Education Association took out hunter safety courses and any course that would teach any child correct use of a gun. They also eliminated discipline in schools these kids when they get taught abortion and uh that these violent video games see life as cheap when they get out of high school especially high school and find out that they've been lied to and they can't get a job at anything other than a burger king or something like that because they have no marketable skills they get angry and uh, and you know as well as i knew a certain percent of those are going to act out violently. Yeah, and that's very possible. Dave, I'd add into that, if you're involved in drugs and you decide to settle a dispute, oftentimes even kids try to settle those disputes with a gun. I'm glad he brought up the subject of discipline, though. Let me get to that in the next segment, and I'll get to more of your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get back to your phone calls and emails on this First Amendment Friday in a moment. But I want to take just a minute to bring something to your attention. You see, school discipline in America is driven not just by your state laws and not just by your local school board and a whole lot of liberal politicians in many cases. 
It's also driven by the federal government, by the Department of Education. Now, if I were running things, I'd get rid of the Department of Education at the federal level in a New York minute. Because I've talked about this before, but the Department of Education that I think came into existence under Jimmy Carter, it was a stupid idea. Schools should be run locally. And you got to think about this. Um, The person who writes the check to fund just about anything has a lot, or the entity that writes the check in this case, has a lot to say about how that works. I mean, if you tell your kids, hey, I'll pay your way through college. And your son or daughter says, so I can study anything? And he goes, I know if I'm writing the checks, you need to study something that actually has some real value. You're not getting a degree that ends in the word studies. We're not doing that because you're writing the check. If somebody else is paying their own way, fine. So when the Department of Education was formed, right now the Department of Ed costs almost $100 billion a year at the federal level. And you say, man, they must have a gigantic staff. No, most of the money does not go to pay for their building or pay for the staffers who work at the Department of Ed. It goes for grants. They like to hand out money left and right, and they do it with strings. So in other words, you're letting unelected bureaucrats back in Washington, D.C. push your school district one direction or another because of whatever they believe. So if Joe Biden says, we're pushing uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or we're pushing critical race theory, um, then, then if you're handing out money, chances are you can get the school district to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we agree with that. Just send us the check. So this becomes even more disturbing when you find out that some of the people who work in the Biden Department of Education are not just left-wingers, but they are people who actually believe that the entire system is corrupt. For example, Fox News Digital came up with this, a Department of Ed official who has claimed that school discipline In other words, having a set of rules for how students have to behave in your K through 12 local public schools is a racist system. That's a quote. They blame whiteness. This is what the person says. Kayla Patrick, who has worked at the Department of Education's Office of Planning, Evaluation and Policy Development since February of this year, according to her LinkedIn account, says that school discipline is a symptom of a racist and punitive system that often fails to see children as children. Instead of helping kids to learn and grow from their mistakes, educators send them to the office or send them home or even sometimes call the police. And black students are more likely to be offended or affected by that. She actually said both. Now, think about this. You've seen so many school districts around America that have said, we're going to stop doing discipline to a large extent. We're going to stop expelling students. We're going to stop suspending students. And if you say, why? What if they get out of line? Say, well, we've found that when we suspend or expel students, many of them are students of color. You say, well, then get them to shape up their behavior so they don't behave that way. Let them know what the rules are and say everybody is held to the same rules, black or white or brown. And you say, no, no, we can't do that. She actually believes She says equity is a key priority in the Joe Biden administration. And this woman, this Kayla Patrick, says black girls are more likely to be disciplined, frankly, because black girls experience race and sex-based discrimination in classrooms, and they are often disciplined for simply being black. Now, if that was actually true, I don't believe that it is. I mean, it might be somewhere. But if you actually had a school administrator, who said, I don't like you because you're black and female, 
and I'm going to send you home or expel you. I would imagine that's the job of your local school board to say, no, we're going to fire that administrator. That would be a firing offense. In fact, if you had somebody in a private company who said, I don't like that guy. He's, he's a black guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suspend him for two days without pay. The minute the boss finds out about that, that guy is going to be get, packing a pink slip at that point. But this is the belief of the Biden administration, and they're pushing this belief to say, you can't have discipline of kids. Well, if you decide to stop discipline, what do you think is going to happen? When kids get out of line and they find out, I no longer get sent to the office. I no longer have the possibility of being suspended or sent home or expelled for bad behavior. Do you think you're going to get more bad behavior? I think that's exactly what you're going to get. So be aware of the powerful forces in Washington, D.C., and the kind of nonsense they're going to try to push on what's going on in your local schools. Let's go to Michael, who's a naysayer. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind on First Amendment Friday? Hey, great show today, Lars. I love it when you take lots of calls and naysayers. It, you know, breaks up the monotony. Not that the rest of your week is uh, not fun to listen to either. Thank and you. uh, you're, you're one of okay. several great shows on your home station there that I go to the trouble listening to online down here in beautiful Las Vegas. We well, just had a great you. Veterans Day parade. Okay. But uh, I've That's got an correct. answer to the question you uh, stumped that uh, first or second anti-Trump naysayer back around 1230. Don't remember his name. You were okay. asking him if Trump is so mean and hateable and so many people hate him. Why did he get more votes than any of their incumbent? Well, I think you may be guilty of cherry picking the data, sir. You've got to factor in population growth and the fact that uh, 2020 had the highest turnout in a presidential election since, I believe, uh, uh, LBJ's landslide over Goldwater the year I was born, 1964. You factor those in, and Trump is like, yeah, he got a lot of votes. Me, I couldn't stand him in the first election. I held my nose and voted for him in 2020. I was 10 times more enthusiastic voting for him the second time in, I mean, in 2016, excuse me, I had to hold my nose then. Maybe even drank a shot of scotch before going to vote. I'm not sure. We still vote in person down here in Nevada, thank God. Uh, and, uh, you know, second time I was made more enthusiastic because he did a great job as president. The pandemic wasn't his fault. He shouldn't have listened to Fauci and the other guys, but oh well, what are you going to do? Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, but, but I hold on a second, Michael, my, Michael you're rattling off. Michael, okay. let's talk about this. You're saying this is population growth. So in other words, between 20, yeah. 2012, when, when uh, Barack Obama ran for re-election, and mm-hmm. 2020, so, you know, not Trump's first election, but his second election, we got a record number of votes. The U.S. population yeah. grows at about one-third of 1% one per year. That's the rough number. It's about one-third of 1%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in it's other words, very slow in, the last few in eight years, the population will have grown 2.5%. So, even if you had a proportional increase in the number of voters, and the number of voters got bigger by 2.5%, that still doesn't explain how does Trump outdo with total number of votes even the results of Barack Obama, who was heralded by the mainstream media as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Barack Obama didn't have such huge numbers in 2012 because everybody knew he was going to beat Romney, so a lot of his fans that went to vote for him in 08 said, ah, I can doesn't, stay home. Does, doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Vote. Trump got more. And then, yeah. then the second item that yeah, I threw he, up to the naysayer, second item was... He, in the polls yeah. right now, when people are asked, who do you want to pick for the nominee of the Republican Party in 2024? And 71% favor Trump. If everybody hates him, mm-hmm. which I, I've heard over and over again, 
how is he getting 71% in a field that's starting to get, you know, a few candidates in it? Say it quick. 71% of self-declared Republicans and conservatives like you and me, I'm talking about the rest of the country, he's never going to get most of the people who voted against him twice to vote for him and change their mind. A few people here and there. You may be right. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. If you heard Joe Biden tell it, he'd say, oh, inflation, it's only up an inch. Joe Biden's the only one who I know measures inflation by the inch or the foot or the yard. And he would say, oh, no, no, things are going fine. And it's just temporary anyway. It's going to go away in a while. And, of course, the major media seems to be carrying water, like this headline that I saw in the last 24 hours from Newsweek saying, inflation drops sharply under Biden. Well, I thought I'd put that question, a few questions, to E.J. Antoni, who's a research fellow for regional economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. So E.J., as we know, is a certified smart guy. How are you doing, E.J.? Lars, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. I hope you don't mind that certified smart guy. But I always tell my audience I can barely do anything. I like numbers, but but I'm not very good at them. But here's here's what floors me. We were at 1.4% inflation the, the day that Biden took the oath of office, right? No, that's exactly right. And what's really amazing is that in only 18 months, a year and a half, he managed to run inflation up to the point where it was uh, 1.3%. Now, I'm not talking about for, uh, uh, you know, for just a, a, an entire year, but for a single month. In other words, prices were rising about as fast in a single month under Biden as they did in the entire year before he took office. So far from this idea that Biden has somehow brought down inflation, I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. He created this monster and has been feeding it for almost two years. Feeding it and diminishing it, because, E.J., I still remember last summer when he said, People were uh, reporters were asking him about what about the inflation? Oh, it's it's temporary. It's just a blip and it'll go away soon and it won't be long lasting. And and he had everybody like Janet Yellen and the rest of that bunch all saying, yeah, it's temporary. It's short term. It'll be it'll go down soon. And none of that has come to come to uh, to fruition, has it? No, not at all. I mean, first, they just flat out lied and said there was no inflation. And and then when it became just too apparent for for everyone to see, and they couldn't deny it any longer. Then they said, oh, well, it, you know, it's transitory. And then after it was hanging around for a little bit longer, they said, well, don't worry, it's just a high-class problem. Well, you know, once again, it's as, if, it's as if the common man needs permission from the Biden administration before they can grieve uh, the financial losses that they have had under this president. And they, well, and they have been significant. I mean, that, that truly is, like, I don't say that... Uh, uh, you know, to, to be hyperbolic. I mean, families genuinely are grieving right now. The average family, for example, has lost $6,100 in purchasing power under Biden. In other words, their wages have increased, but prices have risen so much faster. It's as if they're $6,100 poorer today than when Biden took office. I mean, that's just astounding. It's devastating. Well, and, and, and the practical side to that, EJ, correct me if I'm wrong, is if you're a family, I mean, you could say, well, we've lost 6,100 in buying power. It means one of two things. Either you, you don't live the lifestyle you could live a year ago and you spend the same amount of money, uh, but you get less for it. Or you whip out the credit card and say, well, the president says it's transitory, so we'll just put the extra cost, 500 bucks a month or so, onto, a, onto plastic and we'll hope that it ends soon, and we'll pay it off later, and we'll maintain our lifestyle where it was a year ago. No better, but just spending a lot more money 
to get the same amount of stuff that you would have had a year ago in food or fuel or rent or anything else. Those are your only two choices. Spend more and put it on credit or diminish your lifestyle. As somebody said for Thanksgiving, open up a can of Chef Boyardee, which I thought was so tone deaf I couldn't believe it. But, but that's where we are right now. Oh, my gosh, Lars, I'm so glad you brought up credit cards. It is genuinely scary right now how much of a bubble is being created with credit card debt while people are simultaneously going into their savings, as as you said, to try to maintain that standard of living, that lifestyle that they had before Biden took office. I mean, for just as just as one datum point, monthly savings, in other words, how much people have left over at the end of the month that they haven't spent that they can stock away for a rainy day. That amount has fallen over 80% since Biden took office. 80%, four out of every $5 that used to be saved no longer are. They're being spent. And then on top of that, credit card debt has exploded to the highest level on record. In fact, not only has it surpassed the pre-pandemic level, but it has surpassed the pre-pandemic trend. So all of the progress that people made paying off hundreds of billions of dollars in credit card debt in the initial stages of the pandemic, all of that has been replaced with new debt and then some to the point where it's as if that never even happened and credit card debt had been growing this entire time. Families are getting into some really dangerous waters. I think they are because I saw some, and maybe you know this number, in the first six months of this year, uh, there were something like 250 million new credit card accounts taken out by Americans. And I thought, well, I know there's a whole bunch of Americans who wouldn't think of opening a new credit card. So that means if you've got 246 million new uh, uh, Visa, MasterCard, whatever, uh, that are being taken out by what? A portion of the population? That's three or four new cards for every every person out there. And, and, and I assume that they're taking them out and then filling them up. Right. You know, once again, that's, that's spot on. And what's happening is, as these people are unable to afford uh, their standard of living and they're unable to make it from paycheck to paycheck, they're using those credit cards to make up the difference. And what makes it really scary right now is that not only are they unable to, uh, to pay off those credit card balances, but interest rates are going up on top of it. So the finance charges, which are getting added on to the balance every month that's not being paid off, those finance charges are going up faster and faster with each month that goes by. So not only is the balance growing, but the rate at which it's uh, growing is increasing. I mean, this this is literally a death spiral, uh, financially speaking, for a lot of people. Well, and I wonder what's going to happen in the spring. Construction season in general happens in the better weather months of the year for most of America. There are parts that are exceptions to that, but most of America builds when the you know when it's not as rainy and cold and everything else. But with interest rates, I, I guess they dipped right below seven percent for mortgages, but but they're right about at seven percent. They were three percent in January of this year, and and they've gone to close to seven. As I understand, that's locked a whole bunch of Americans out of even thinking about buying a house until they, I don't know when this will happen, come back down to 3 or 4%. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you either have to have home prices come down or the interest rate has to come down because those are the two key factors that say how much is your monthly payment going to be. And speaking of that monthly payment, since Biden got into office, monthly payment on, on the median-priced uh, home, has gone up 91%. That's $910 every month 
That's over ten grand a year. So now stretch that out over that 30-year mortgage. You're paying over $300,000 more for the same house. It's not a newer house. It's not a nicer house. It's not in a better location. It's the exact same thing. I mean, you could not find a better illustration of the dramatic increase in the cost of living than that. So what's on the horizon? What is likely to happen? Because I guess if Biden manages to crush the economy enough through fuel prices and inflation, maybe people just run out of spending power and run out of credit. But but what are we looking at, say, in the next 12 months, if you can look that far ahead? Well, first, to that, uh, to that second point of yours, that's exactly what we saw with this last CPI report, the last inflation report for October, where although the overall price level increased, we actually saw a few categories like apparel, clothing, actually decreased in price on average. And the reason for that is because retailers stocked up on all this inventory and now can't sell it because people don't have enough money. So they're having to actually drop prices, sell these things at a loss. Now, that's going to mean a big hit for corporations come earnings season. But at least for right now, it provides consumers with with some short-term relief. But looking forward 12 months from now, I mean, the Federal Reserve does not seem to have the stomach to do what needs to be done to get inflation under control. They're still not not, uh, bringing the rate increases hard and fast enough. And more importantly, on the fiscal side, the administration and probably the new Congress don't seem to have the spine to actually cut spending. That's what they have to do. That's E.J. Tony from the Heritage Foundation. E.J., thanks very much. Have a wonderful weekend. Welcome back to First Amendment Friday on the Radio Northwest Network, brought to you this segment by Valhalla Tea, a perfect gift for the holidays, helping veterans with every bag sold at ValhallaTea.com. That's ValhallaTea.com. Our Twitter poll today, this has to do with the latest nonsense from the Portland metro area, although... Every time I see a crazy idea in Oregon, I figure Washington State can't be far behind. But Multnomah County says it has released a brand new report. Well, it turns out the brand new report is based on an EPA memo written 14 years ago that itself is based on studies that were done years behind that. And what they've said is that gas stoves, natural gas stoves, in your home are hazardous to your health. So I ask you, I I gave you the rebuttal on that. It's a load of hogwash is what it is. But is cooking with natural gas creating dangerous pollution in your house? I would answer no to that. You can answer any way you like, at Lars Larson Show or at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for your business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Nick. Hey, Nick, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. Glad to have your call. What's on your mind today? Hey, Lars. Um, 114 passed, and we have uh, new stuff on the books about uh, gun regulation. Yep. And I think that uh, the wording of that meets all of the criteria for having a concealed carry license. More or less, I think it does. That, yeah, I, I think that uh, all the sheriffs should automatically uh, give people concealed carry licenses. Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. So if you want, so, but remember you get a carry permit. I have one in my pocket. You, you don't have to renew it, but every four years, but as I understand the wording of measure 114, every time you seek to buy a firearm, you have to go back and get a new permit. I don't know that you have to take the class over, but they're telling you, if you want to buy a gun, get a permit. 
now I want to buy a second gun. Well, then go get another permit. In other words, you're back to the sheriff's office every time you want to buy a gun. And literally, even in the state of Oregon over the last year or so, hundreds of thousands of firearms have been sold. Now, when you issue, uh, there are quite a number of concealed carry permits. But as I said, once you get the permit, you only renew it every four years. This is something the sheriff's offices and police departments are going to have to issue hundreds of thousands of permits every year. I don't think they're up to it. Well, we've got the we're, – we're probably going to run this through the courts, and the courts are going to agree with the other 22 states that have similar legislation. And, uh, I mean, we could almost turn that into practically a, a de facto uh, – Constitutional carry. <laughs> uh, you, you almost could, except do you think that constitutional carry is ever going to get the approval of the legislature in Oregon or the legislature in Washington? Constitutional carry, by the way, folks, is when you just say, I don't need a permit. Uh, the Constitution is my permit to carry a gun. I don't think I, I think it's extraordinarily unlikely to happen. But what what's going to happen in the meantime, Nick? As of about January the 8th or the 10th, the, the law goes into effect 30 days after the vote certification. So even allowing for weekends and things like that, it's going to be in effect by the middle of January. What do you think is going to happen to every single company that sells guns in the state of Oregon, every single business, when they find out we can't sell a single gun until the permit system is created? Oh, absolutely. This is a, a, a terrible law. It's terrible on the the gun owners and the people who want to buy guns. It's terrible on the gun shops and all that. It's but, not just uh, terrible. It's saying, it's it, it's it will kill is, the industry, is, will it not? Well, what I'm essentially saying is, you're meeting or exceeding all the requirements to get a CCL. So you have to do that to get the permit to buy a gun. Why not just automatically? issue the cco at the same time well so every time somebody buys a gun they get a new permit are you suggesting issuing them a new concealed carry license every time they get it that one doesn't make sense to me let's go to paul hey paul you heard me talking about school resource officers when we hear about school shootings are new laws going to solve the problem or do you think school resource officers might be part of the answer I definitely think they're part of the answer because you're never going to be able to stop people from being violent. That's just kind of uh, the human nature that we have to live with. But what I wanted to talk about was actually just, uh, I think there's actually a strategy involved in trying to kick out the resource officers from the schools. And I think it's simply that the more uh, or the less protection that you have for people in vulnerable situations, like in schools, like with kids, like with teachers, then the more violence you're going to have automatically just because people realize it's an unprotected domain. And the strategy is, is that once you have more violence in the schools, once you have more guns showing up and there's more school shootings and there's less protection from the people that should be there to stop it, then you can change the discussion to not being about, well, we need more protection in the schools, but you can switch it over to, oh, we need to get rid of guns because they're the ones causing all the problems. I mean, people are not coming in and stabbing. They're coming in and they're shooting. And so the, they can change the, the argument to we need to get rid of guns in order to stop this violence rather than we need more protection in order to end it at those locations. You know, it's funny because that's exactly what Bruce, that's exactly what Bruce Harrell, the mayor of Seattle, is saying right now. He said we need more laws. The problem is, Paul, Mm -hmm. as I pointed out, the shooting that happened at a high school in Seattle this week where a student was killed, and they have the two suspects, they are 14 and 15 years of age. If you're 14 or 15, you can't possess a gun. You can't carry a gun. 
You can't take it onto school grounds, and you certainly can't murder people. If you've already got four laws on the books, where's the logical argument that says, but if we just had one more law, I agree with you that they're probably trying to create chaos, and it's probably going to leave a lot of students dead, unfortunately. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.